Namaste, yogis and friends. I'm Kino McGregor. And I'm Tim Feldman. And we would like to welcome you to Miami Life Centers podcast. So we're here with Chase Bossart. And he just did a Bhagavad Gita workshop with us at Miami Life Center, part of our Ashtanga Practitioners Intensive. And the end of it, he was starting to get into the topic of Ishvara, or God. And we thought we'd do a podcast to get a little bit deeper into that topic and look at how the concept of Ishvara compares in the Bhagavad Gita to the Yoga Sutras. So. Super. Yeah. Wait, what am I supposed to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want to talk about. Oh, and we'll somehow connect it back to God. Oh, God, help. <laughs> uh, all joking aside, yes, today was super fun, really interesting. Um, three days on uh, Bhagavad Gita and the meaning of that. And, and, and I think one of the things that's really interesting to me in your course is that all the stuff is emphasized on the practical application so we did all of this uh, Bhagavad Gita the last three days, and it's really like, well, what does this text mean, and how does it, how does it that um, how am I supposed to read it in terms of my life, and what does it mean for my life, and all of those things. And so, um, you know, one of the things that is so interesting in Bhagavad Gita is that there's this very um, undeniable, uh, strong presence of Krishna as an embodiment or uh, manifestation or really an avatar of God. And so you can't really get around the God issue in Bhagavad Gita. There is God. But <clears throat> when we were talking about it in class and we didn't really have time to go into class, there's this question about what if I don't believe in God? And, you know, the Yoga Sutra, Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, which is a different text and, um, but also an important text of yoga has such a interesting take on it because um, it presents God as optional. You know, it it God is actually a very important concept and a really powerful concept, and it's acknowledged as such. But um, if you have some issue with it or whatnot, then okay, we have other tools. And, you know, there's a real sort of orient, different orientation in, uh, with the presentation of these two texts. In, in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, it's um, as if God is a tool to help the practitioner uh, remain balanced or to develop, like, uh, calm, equanimity, etc., Whereas, you know, so it's, it's like in, in Yoga Sutra, God is a tool of the practice. If I believe in God, then I will have some, I'll have some sense of security or I'll have some sense of being held or I'll have some, something will be there for me that is um, helpful for my being, remaining stable or remaining balanced in uh, difficult times. Whereas in Bhagavad Gita, the presentation is more along the lines of God is the source of everything, all materiality, all, you know, God is the, uh, Krishna says 
in the middle of the 10th chapter, he says, I am the Atma. I am the soul of all living beings. So like Krishna is, is essentially saying that um, everything that's alive, you, me, bacteria, spiders, you know, plants, etc., that spirit, which is the foundation of that aliveness, is an ex- extension of God or an expression of God. So <clears throat> the yoga is a process by which we come to uh, be more aware of and tuned into and ultimately aligned with God in Bhagavad Gita. So it's almost like the yoga helps us to find and to align with and follow God. It's just like a uh, devotional path. Whereas in Yoga Sutra, <clears throat> at least on the surface, God is a uh, is a useful principle or technique that helps us to attain a state of yoga. So could you say that in yoga, God is is more seen more as a means to an end whereas the Bhagavad Gita God is he's the end he's the goal yes I like I like that yes in in, uh, Bhagavad Gita God is the goal is the end it's what Mm -hmm. we're trying to align with whereas in Yoga Sutra God is the means to the goal I want to I don't want to say that that's the End story of the Bhagav- of the Yoga Sutra because mm-hmm. Yoga Sutra is most definitely a spiritual manual. So you know, if you're practicing yoga, the result will be um, some discovery of and alignment with spirit. Mm. So, but on the initial stages, God is given as uh, both a very mm-hmm. powerful tool and an optional thing. Yeah. He's the most powerful tool. I mean, there's a part that it's like that's right. You can do all of these crazy things, or you could just that's right. Focus on them. Yeah. So, so we should talk about exactly where that presentation is coming from in, in the Yoga Sutra, and then we'll go to go to Bhagavad Gita. So the first thing in, in Yoga Sutra, um, you know there. Are, the Yoga Sutra is essentially a curriculum. It's it, more than it is like a book. Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, in 195 sentences, it proposes to give the overall curriculum of what is yoga rather than, um, you know, here's all the details, etc. of what to do. So um, <clears throat> it's pretty sparse and that can make it difficult to... Um, to translate sometimes because you have to actually know what the whole subject is before the curriculum makes much sense as a whole. All right. So the first chapter, which is called the Samadhi Pada, Pada means a, a chapter or a part, and Samadhi is a very um, important and strong perceptual experience, which we won't define for right now, but. <clears throat> The first chapter, the Samadhi Pada, is an overview of the general process of yoga. And this chapter can be broken down into three sections. The first section is 1 through uh, 22. Uh, sutras 1 through 22. And 
Then the second section is 23 through 40. Some will say 39, but 40. And then the last section is 41 through 51. And in the first section, there's a general overview of yoga. So, for instance, um, Second Sutra defines yoga. Yoga is the uh, directing of the activities of the mind in a chosen direction. Or yoga is the um, restraint of the uh, preventing the mind from wandering. So essentially yoga is sustained attention. Mm -hmm. Then you have the uh, result of yoga. What is the result of yoga? Well, essentially the result of yoga is clarity. So if he's going to say yoga is about sustained attention and yoga the result of yoga is clarity then obviously yoga is about the mind so then he's going to have to define the mind so sutras 5 through 11 he defines this is what the mind is this is how, in, in yoga etc then 12 through 16 he says here's how you attain a state of yoga right state of yoga has something to do with sustained attention how do we get there well, you have to make efforts. It's not enough to simply make efforts. You also have to relinquish what's getting in the way of the efforts that you're making. Mm -hmm. And he defines efforts and he defines relinquishing and like this. Then the next section, which is essentially 17 through 22, he says, yoga is a pattern. You develop it. Uh, you know, Sustained attention doesn't just happen. It has a set of circumstances that facilitate and allow it to be present. You know, we can't just wake up one morning and decide, oh, I'm very attentive today. Mm -hmm. There has to be like the circumstances have to be created. And, you know, how do I do that? Well, I create those circumstances through effort and relinquishing. And then slowly over time, I develop a pattern of sustained attention. Mm -hmm. Right, and this is pattern of sustained attention. Um, it it is developable because of the belief that I have in it. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> shraddha or uh, confidence or faith or something translated something like that is the engine which allows a practitioner to develop this pattern of ever more sustained attention. And then that's a basic overview of what is yoga. You know, we're mm -hmm. learning how to develop that pattern. The next section, which is 23 through 40, Patanjali is acknowledging, well, the theory is very beautiful. You make efforts. You relinquish the things that are getting in the way of those efforts or mm -hmm. getting in the way of the fruition of those efforts. And as you relinquish that, and yes, you make more efforts, then slowly you develop this pattern of attention. And that pattern of attention goes from something that's very gross to something that's ever more subtle, to something that provides a lot of joy and finally is part of you. Mm -hmm. So there's this movement where you develop yoga and what allows you to have that 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 movement is a belief okay that's nice but you know my dog died knock on wood mm -hmm. 
Well, this isn't really wood, but you know. Okay. There we go. Knock on wood. You know, that that's hard. Or somebody that I care about deeply is no longer in my life. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you know, my business uh, goes bankrupt. You know, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. All those things. So it's one thing to be having a lot of faith and developing a pattern of more sustained attention and, and, and really developing a pattern of yoga when my life is going good. But in this section, which is 23 through 40, what Patanjali acknowledges is that um, difficulties are impossible to avoid. We are going to have difficulties in life. And difficulties in life are actually not the problem. He says, this is, this is in number 30 of the first chapter. He says, the problem in life is when you're out of balance. Because when you're out of balance, you won't have any sustained attention. And therefore, when you respond to whatever trouble arises, you will respond from patterning. Mm. So you'll respond from uh, who you you know, the, the, the things that used to work when you were, you know, five-year-old. Mm-hmm. Which is why a lot of people we know, they, you know, they, they, they act like they're five. <laughs> Throw tantrums. <laughs> no, but all jokes aside, the, um, uh, this point is very well taken. It's not the difficulties in life that arise that are a problem. It's the way that we are engaged with those difficulties and the way that we perceive them and respond to them that's the problem. So Patanjali says, if your chitta vikshepaha, if your mind is trembling, in other words, if you don't have sustained attention, you know, in other words, if you, if you don't have sustained attention, then difficulties in life will become obstacles. So um, these are these, and he lists nine, he lists nine difficulties. These will be obstacles. And the key point here is for those who are chitta vikshepaha. And I said, you know, that the, they're not balanced. The mind is not directable. So how do we know whether or not we're in a, uh, we're balanced? Well, potentially answers that. In the 31st sutra, the first chapter, he says, well, you're, 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 you're balanced or not by the way your system is behaving. If you have a lot of emotional distress, you know, it could be anxiety, could be nervousness, could be loneliness, could be frustration or jealousy or... Um, uh, control or anger, etc., or it could be like you know grief or attachment, etc. These kinds of things. If you have like a lot of that in your life, uh, you're very likely out of balance. You know, this is not to say that like if somebody that's in your life that you care about deeply is no longer in your life for whatever reason that you won't grieve. Of course, you'll grieve. But if quite a bit of time has gone by, and I don't mean like, you know, six months, but if quite a bit of time goes by and you're still just grieving, all right, I think we're out of balance. Mm -hmm. 
Other characteristics of being out of balance are dharmanasya, negative outlook. So something happens immediately. I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst thing because then and then and then and I'll be out on the street and I don't know how I'm going to have anything to eat and, you know, do they even. So my perspective on life will be negative. Or another way to say this is the things that I play in my mind will be negative. Mm -hmm. So something happens and immediately I'll be like, okay, so when's the next, when's the next shoe going to drop or you know, like, oh, this always happens to me. Or whatever my, mm-hmm. whatever tape that I play when I'm out of balance, that's what we'll be playing. Aside from that, my body will not function well. You know, this means like insomnia, mm-hmm. constipation, or, you know, maybe IBS, or I get a cold sore, or a rash, or whatever it may be. Shwasa prashwasa, short, shallow breathing. And chitta vikshepa sahabhuvaha, existing with a trembling mind. So in other words, what Patanjali is saying is that difficulties in life are not the problem. They're actually unavoidable. You know, if you're, in a, if you're in, in, into Indian astrology, there's 12 planets. Four are, are, are malefic. Like four of them, four of the 12 planets are supposedly negative influence. Everybody has those four in their chart. <laughs> there, there is nobody who's going to go through life without a bunch of problems. Yeah. It's going to happen. So that's not the problem. The problem is my state, my whether or not I'm balanced. Because if I'm out of balance, then no matter what happens, I'm going to have a problem with it. You know, I might even, I mean, the problem may even be that I overreact in the positive sense. And if, if I'm not, if I'm, if I am balanced, of course I'm human. We're not robots. We have emotions. We have difficulties. We, you know, etc. But I won't get stuck. Mm-hmm. The difficulty will not be an obstacle. It will not cause me mm-hmm. to get stuck. You know that uh, movie Groundhog Day. So brilliant. Such a good example of this principle, where Bill Murray gets stuck on Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. And, it, and he doesn't get out of it until he, until he changes his behavior. Mm. Like really, you know, as long as he's continuing along the old manner of things, he's waking up every morning in that same bed, yeah. right? So um, this is an important backdrop for Ishwara because this, Patanjali says in the first chapter, okay, Yes, yoga is about sustained attention. Yes, yoga is about, you know, the result of sustained attention is clarity, you know, wisdom or whatever you want to call it. And, and you know, we develop this slowly over a pattern. But what's important is that uh, in the trials and tribulations of life that you're able to maintain this sustained attention or you're able to maintain this balance because if you can, then whatever happens... You won't get stuck. Yes, you'll be redirected. Yes, your life will go in another trajectory or something. Fine. But you won't get stuck. So Patanjali in this second section, which is Yoga Sutra 23 through 40 of the first chapter, he after he gives the nine difficulties that are, nine types of difficulties that arise, he then gives nine solutions. And the nine solutions 
one of them is so good and so powerful that he puts it before he even talks about the nine difficulties. Right? So in other words, and then what he says is, if you have this operating well, the difficulties will never be obstacles. Mm. And what is that? So what is that technique? Ishvara Pranidhana, mm. which means uh, surrender to a higher power or belief in you know, higher power, etc. Right? So just want to highlight that first chapter is like an overview of what is yoga and what is the process of yoga. And, and the second section where is what he's really talking about is how to maintain some balance in the face of all the difficulties of life. Because if I maintain balance, then I won't, I'll be less likely to react from patterning and more able to react from my authentic, authenticity, you know, from my knowing. And as I do that, then, you know, my life will shift and change, but I won't, I won't get stuck. So how do I maintain balance? Well, he gives nine solutions. The first one that he gives is belief in a higher power. And that is so powerful that he actually puts it before he even talks about the problems. And he says, if you have this, then you won't have these. These problems will never become obstacles. Right. So <clears throat> this is 23. Ishvara Pranidhanad Va. Ishvara, the word Ishvara means like... Uh, 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 is a general term for like Lord, you know. Pranidhana, pranidhanat means, uh, it's the fifth case, ablative singular, from, out of, or by means of, surrender to Ishvara. Mm -hmm. This is the, this is the, um, uh, the technique. However, there's this word va, Va, my my uh, uh, my father's grandfather went by Va, <laughs> Mu and Va, <laughs> but Va does not mean my father's grandfather here. Va means or, mm. okay, or what does that mean? That means this is the most powerful technique, mm. and we recognize some people are not going to be willing. To be open to God. They're not going to be... Just a minute. Requirement of yoga is like, belief in what? Uh, eject, eject. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think we see this a lot in our culture yeah. because um, a lot of people who are coming to yoga are really... Some of them are coming to yoga looking for alternatives to the uh, spiritual uh, institutions that they grew up in. And... Um, uh, so when they hear that, like, oh, wait, I have to believe in something? Okay, I'm out of here. Mm. But actually, Patanjali's Yoga Sutra has already anticipated that, yeah. has already recognized that that is a problem for many people. So it says, okay, va, this is the most powerful solution for keeping your mm. mind uh, uh, even and stable. But, it, but if, you don't have this, um, if you don't have this belief, fine, 
we have other we have other techniques mm-hmm. and those techniques are really you know 32 through 39 and they involve things like uh, maintain certain um, attitudes towards others and mm-hmm. exhale hold after exhale evaluating your dreams meditate on something appropriate there's a, there's nine of them right or there's eight others in addition to Ishwara praying down mm-hmm. so having opened the topic of Ishwara Patanjali then spends, uh, I guess it's six more sutras, talking about the defi- defining Ishwara, mm-hmm. saying how to practice devotion to a higher power and the results of it. Mm-hmm. So what I what I what I want to cover today, in 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 um, contrast to Bhagavad Gita, is according to Patanjali, Ishwara has four characteristics. The first one is that Ishwara has never made any mistakes. Never been affected by Klesha. So there's a whole, uh, there's a whole um, chain. Your actions will always be based on some kind of perception. If that perception is accurate, then your action is, is more likely to be appropriate to whatever situation is unfolding. Mm-hmm. Then there'll be a result of the action. And then there'll be some residue that remains from the, from the result of that action and, and the action. So if my foundation of action is a, is a wrong perception, some I have not seen correctly, I have misunderstood, I have, I have, uh, I am, uh, I have got a wrong idea about what's happening then my action is likely to not be very appropriate to the situation. And then the result and the uh, residue of all that will likely not be very positive. So, Ishvara has never had this issue. Mm -hmm. Ishvara has never been subject to any kind of klesha, any kind of misperception, and therefore has never made any kind of wrong action and never had the results of wrong action, suffering, etc. <laughs> so what? Uh, so this is one. This is one uh, characteristic of Ishwara mm-hmm. that Ishwara has never had any misperception, wrong action, etc. The second one is that this is a. Uh, Yoga Sutra, first chapter 25. Ishvara is the unlimited source of all knowing. Very interesting. Ishvara is the source of all knowing. Super, super interesting. Third, Ishvara is the guide for everyone who's ever come. So that means that if we, if we look at this, that means where is Ishvara? Right? Where is Ishvara? Because if Ishvara is the guide, he says the, this actually says the word he uses is guru, for anyone who's, ever, who's come before, then it's not possible for that guide to have been outside and interacting with everyone. So it must be inside them. Same thing with 
where does knowing or where does my understanding arise from? It has to be from inside. You know, if I write a Chinese character on the, on the, on the piece of paper here and show it to you, even though it's a chi- it, even though it has meaning, no meaning will arise from within you because you don't know Chinese. So there's not the meaning does not come from external. Meaning arises from internal. So Ishwara must be inside us, and Ishwara never made any mistake. Oh, that's so interesting. One last characteristic. Ishwara is uninterrupted by time. In other words, Ishwar is unaffected by time. These are the characteristics of God in yoga, or according to uh, the Yoga Sutra, uh, Yoga Darshana. Let's just go over it again, because it's so important. Ishwara is not a creator. It's not the creator being. There is nothing in the Yoga Darshana, in the Yoga philosophy, philosophy, um, that talks about where the world came from and why we're here or what, where, where we're going when we're no longer here. Mm-hmm. There is not an explanation given in the Yoga Sutra. The Yoga Sutra is a description. It's a, uh, it's, uh, a description not an explanation. So what is the description of higher power? Perfect. Source of all knowing. Uh, really the capacity to guide everyone and not bounded by time. So This pretty much could be accepted by almost any religion. Because we're not saying this God created it. There's no creation story. There's no why you, um, you know, you, there's no um, here's why you're going to hell. <laughs> there's just, oh, okay. So this higher power has a capacity to help you. In fact, if you will believe in it, then it will be the most powerful thing to help you get through the difficulties in life that are bound to arise. They are. So how do I, uh, and where do I find this Ishwara? Well, from the indications are inside. Right? Yes, of course. Would you, um, so one of the things that I've picked up on over the years is that Patanjali's choice of word Ishwara is kind of like the most, the least, the the the, the word for God with the least, which is most liberal, most open, the least with the least connotations. One that almost anyone can, like any religion, can uh, accept. It is not Parama Purusha. It is not. Um, Brahman, it is not and so forth. No Vishnu, no Shiva. All that. Yeah, there's no specific thing. I agree. It is so open, so it is just memes. What did you call it? Higher consciousness or yeah, higher power? High power or something like that. Mm. Something as open yeah. as that. Yes, I agree. Okay. Yep, Ishwara is 
you know, Lord or something like that. Yeah, it's very, it's very genetic. Even generic. Sorry, generic. Even less than Lord. Yeah, it has a has a connotation of uh, resources, wealth. Right. Somehow the, your first word was very nice, the higher power. Higher power, it's yeah. Very, it's like... Yeah. Do you think that was done on purpose, just to make it more accessible? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. You know, um, my mother, when I first got involved in yoga, my mother was very um, concerned. And she used, to, she used to tell me every day, I'm praying for your soul. So I used to tell her I was praying for her soul too. And then as she's become more, um, more sort of uh, knowledgeable about yoga philosophy... Yoga philosophy is not advocating any particular god. Mm. It's not saying you should worship Shiva or Vishnu or, or you know, any of them. It's just saying, oh, higher power is a very powerful uh, tool for your life. And uh, if you have that, it's influence on your uh, capacity to remain balanced and your, therefore your capacity to uh, keep sustained attention and respond appropriately, etc., is greatly improved. So, have a belief in a higher power. Now, as the text goes on, particularly in the second chapter or whatnot, um, this idea of Ishvara as a uh, as a uh, uh, important uh, practice is more highlighted. So, for instance, in the second chapter, you get Kriya Yoga, and one of the one of the one of the ideas in Kriya Yoga, which is yoga in action, what does it look like in action, etc. One of the three parts is again Ishvara Pranidhana. Now, the meaning of this is a little separate, and I, I want to go into Bhagavad Gita because we won't have time to do all of that. But um, just the point to make is that in the practice of yoga, as we proceed, it um, as one is able to develop balance with more... Uh, with more regularity and more, you know, return to balance with more content, uh, more uh, easily, etc. So we have more continuity there. Then what happens is we become very aware of how little of our body and mind and system and communication and all that we actually are controlling. So much is just happening. And as that as we go along, there's uh, awareness of there's a, an awareness of a particular voice in our head or kind of um, feeling within us that seems to have a lot of accuracy about what kind of action should I take in a particular situation. And a lot of the later stages of yoga are really about aligning with this feeling or aligning with this uh, voice and, you know, uh, following through from that. And so as we progress, uh, it certainly becomes a spiritual practice in which we are acknowledging something the presence of something else in our life 
mm-hmm. um, and where we can actually act in a way that's supportive of that, etc. So I don't want to say that Patanjali's Yoga Sutra does not have a deep spirituality because it mm-hmm. definitely does, but it's cloaked in this straight out of the bat, straight out of the hatch. If you want to get involved in yoga, you don't believe in God. Okay, no problem. Keep coming. Keep doing your practice. As you do your practice more, then what will happen? Uh, yeah. We know what will happen. And at that point, you're, you'll, you'll have some internal healing and you, maybe you'll be open to uh, the idea of a higher power at this point. And we'll take it again at that point. So the initial piece is very, eh, okay, or not, fine, come. Whereas with Bhagavad Gita, you know, the orientation is really in a sort of different way. Um, in, in Bhagavad Gita, the, uh, again, just to give some background in this, um, Arjuna is faced with an extremely difficult situation. Basically, he, he's a warrior and he knows that he, uh, there's a war, there's a just war that, it's his duty to fight. He needs to fight it, etc. And when he gets on the battlefield, he looks and 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 the he's had no qualms with any war until now when he actually looks and he's like, oh, I actually love and care for all the people who are standing on this battlefield, and he collapses, right? And so, um, Bhagavad Gita is in in many ways um, a kind of. Uh, Manual for how to navigate difficulties in life. Because we all have these things. We all have these things. Like, you know, I'm in a situation and I feel that I should take a particular action in that situation. But I also see that if I take that action that other people are going to be really negatively affected. And then I, I, I feel bad. So I have this conflict between my emotions and my, say, my duty or my emotions and my... What my what I know to be the correct course of action. So, Krishna is telling Arjuna, okay, so here's how you should navigate this. Here's how you should you should go uh, take you know respond to this, and. The, the response, essentially, in the beginning is, well, find out what is your situation, not what do you think the situation is, not what do you think it will become, not if I do this, then that, but if I do that, then this, etc. No, what is the situation now? And what is my role in the situation? It might be observer only, it might be nothing. Just figure out what is my role. And then the last piece here, and this is all from chapter 2 of Bhagavad Gita, the last, the last piece here is, what is my state? What is my... Uh, uh, am, I, am I balanced or am I out of balance, etc.? And, and Ar, uh, Arjuna listens and, and he doesn't really get it and so he um, asks a question and Krishna responds you know actually 
the only way to navigate these kinds of uh, difficulties is by, uh, and I'm paraphrasing a lot here, (laughs) is by becoming aware of and following your own intuition. Becoming aware of and following your own intuition. And there's a whole build-up for this. And he calls this, this is the fourth chapter, number 18. He says, yogis should understand what is action in inaction and what is inaction in action. So there's a way, what, what, let me translate that into something that we can all understand. Mm-hmm. What that means is, is that if I am listening to my intuition, and it's really truly my intuition, my knowing, and I follow that, that is actually inaction in action. So I'm taking an action, I'm making efforts, etc., so I'm t- there's action, but it's not my decision. It's not my, I'm not, these actions are not my, I didn't originate them. Mm-hmm. They originated from my intuition, from my knowing. So if you follow, if you act like that, then <clears throat> there'll be no stain. There'll be no stain. But if you have some knowing, and uh, you know that there's something you should do, but you don't do it. This is, this is action in inaction, right? So in other words, my inaction is that I didn't take, I didn't follow my knowing, and I didn't follow my uh, intuition. And as a result, um, I did nothing. That's the inaction. But I had some knowing to do something and I didn't follow it. So that was my action. So what Krishna is saying is he's saying in difficult situations, and it's true actually of all situations, not just difficult situations, there is some kind of internal experience that can arise and guide your way through the difficulty. And then he continues, the way that you can... Um, tune into that is disconnect, have less complicated, more simplicity in your daily life and meditate on that voice. And when he starts saying about meditate on that voice, this is chapter six, He says, meditate on me. This is Krishna talking. So, in other words, what Krishna is saying is that knowing, that internal, um, that internal experience of how I should, like a strong feeling of I should do this or I should, I, oh, don't do that, etc., that's not my patterning, it's not, etc. It's like my intuition. That is coming, according to Krishna, that is coming from God. So the real solution here in Bhagavad Gita 
is to be able to get quiet and tune in to your internal knowing. Where does that internal knowing come from? God. So then Arjuna asks the question, okay, so I should meditate on you, but where are you? Where are you? And you have beautiful poetry in seven, eight, chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, where he gives these examples. Where am I? Well, my lower, where I am in my lower uh, form is I am buddhi, ahankara, manas, and the five elements. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, you're describing me, right? What, what, what's he saying there? Buddhi, ahankara, manas are the first three evolutes of a buddhendriya, of a, of a being. And the five elements, that's like what we're all made up of. So, just a minute, where are you, God? You're in my body? Whoa, okay, interesting. Okay, but I need something else. Where, where else are you? Oh, you're the liquidity in the water, right? Huh, interesting. Oh, you're the radiance of the sun and the moon. Yeah, how interesting. So he gives these examples. um, And essentially what the examples are pointing out is that every time you wash your hands, oh, there's God. Or you see the sun. Oh, hi, God. Or the moon, right? Or um, in other words, what... Krishna is doing is shifting our perspective so that rather than it being like, um, you know, uh, oh, I need some help, but where's my help? And nobody is nobody is going to be helping me. He's, he's shifting the perspective to, oh, God is all around you all the time. He even says in chapter 10, number 20, he even says, Krishna says, I am the Atma, in other words, I am the soul, I am the spirit of all living beings. All right, so where do I find God? Well, anytime you interact with anything that's alive, God will be there. Now, nobody should let this go to their head because uh, (laughs) it does not mean that you are God, okay? (laughs) But the, the, um, and, and, Essentially, what Krishna is saying here is that <clears throat> if you if you can look for the divine, if you can look for the source of consciousness or nature or the universe, whatever word you want to use, etc., then you'll find it. And if you go looking for it, and you keep your system somewhat balanced and your schedule somewhat open and you spend time every day bringing your attention to where is God, what you will start to find is God everywhere. In other words, you will start to get, you will start to see the guidance. And um, it's just a very interesting uh, uh I can't think of the English word. It's very interesting uh, counter um, uh, juxtaposition. There we go. Mm. 
it's a very interesting juxtaposition according to the Yoga Sutra because Yoga Sutra, mm-hmm. it's saying, what's the most powerful tool? Well, you believe in God. Mm-hmm. We have belief in God, it's so powerful. But if you don't believe in God, fine, no problem. We have other things, etc. Whereas Bhagavad Gita is saying, oh, how do you navigate life? How do you get through life? And what do you do? Etc. like that. Tune into God. How do you tune into God? Well, God is in you. Wait, where is God? God is everywhere. Ah, okay. So, you know, the purpose of the the um, Bhagavad Gita is that we find that and align with that and then that will help us to navigate our our life. And at the same time, it is actually the whole goal of finding that and navigating that. I mean, finding mm-hmm. that and aligning with that. That is the result of what we're trying to do. In my head, I, I, I kind of see the yoga teachers as like this is this is the purpose, this is the result, and then this is like one simple solution, which is God. But then, if you don't believe in God, it gets like I feel like it gets maybe maybe this is like a wrong interpretation of the yoga but it just seems like it's so complicated. There's so many little steps, and there's so many things to like navigate through. And the Bhagavad Gita is just there's just one, and it's just God. There's no there's no alternative, and somehow it seems like more simple. Right. You know, like the teachings seem more simple in a way. Yeah, I think I think it's in a way it's fair to say that. Yeah, Bhagavad Gita is basically saying God is your solution, mm-hmm. and and you know Yoga Sutra is saying well if you believe in God that's your solution, <laughs> but if you don't we have all these other things you can do it's too. It's a little bit yeah, it's yeah. Like hard. Yeah, it's like hard work, you know. It is hard work. Yeah, but the, either um, way it's hard work, I guess. The you know the thing I that challenges what I the the challenge that I see in like teaching these things is that. If somebody does not believe in uh, God or higher power, etc., it's very hard for them to sit through Bhagavad Gita kinds of mm-hmm. workshops. Because a lot of it is like, okay, so you know, you have intuition and that intuition is a message from God. Eyes are rolling. <laughs> <laughs> Doodling is happening. <laughs> Checking the phone. <laughs> but with, with Yoga Sutra... If you don't have that, fine. We have all these other things you can do. You can access, access point is over which there. Which I think is so awesome. It's like saying like yoga is for everyone, which I think is such a beautiful thing. And the yoga just makes that yeah. clear. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Now I was just thinking that I find myself with a deep questioning when people say, do you believe in God? I just don't know where to start. And when I... And then one of the most simple things that I can lead towards a divine interaction or something is do I believe in good and bad? <laughs> and if I believe in that, is there something that's really, really good? And is there something I can do for good and something I can do for bad? Yes, alright, now we have like the Catholic Church, you know, mm-hmm. like the devil and the... Mm-hmm. And then if we imagine then a place where there's all good, in such a high scale, so it's like abstract. That must be divinity, you know, or something like that. And I found that people are pretty willing to take that notion on in, in teaching. 
myself included. <laughs> um, but I'm also struggling with the whole thing about mm. I, I have not come to a I, I when people say God, I, I start to overthink for a year. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and I have had problems sitting through Peter, but I think it might be time I start to look into the Gita. I have not wanted to go there, even with people I find dear because of in my soul that because I feel it is so steeped in this Advaita Vedanta syrup and I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. You you told me that your father was a a, a pastor? No. Stockbroker. Stockbroker. Same thing. He's worshipping at the... Uh, <laughs> just different God, right? Different God, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> but was, but did you say that you came from a, you came from a family that Oh, I grew up very Presbyterian. Okay. Yeah, very Presbyterian. Very, um, very sort of fundamental um, evangelical kind of uh, background. Mm. Do you find... Uh, that that has helped you understand faith or do you find that that has installed faith in you or do you be? That's such a good question. Mm-hmm. I consider myself a Christian. Most of uh, the Christians throw me out of the church because I won't say, I won't agree to certain key principles mm-hmm. like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Christ is the only way. I don't, I don't believe that. I think it's a misreading of the text. I don't think the text is like... That's not what the text is saying. So, um, but, you know, for people like my aunt, that means that I'm not... Um, that I'm not, a, I'm not actually a Christian. But what's happened for me in the course of the, you know, yoga is that I have really come back to a... He- and had a healing about my relationship with... Uh, the church and and um, you know Christ and all of this stuff and so I don't I feel that um, I have an openness and uh, and uh, and a curiosity for Christianity etc that got shut down in my high school years and didn't really get you know, reopened and I mean was it there was no opening for that until through yoga at some some healing has happened. Mm. Yeah. I'm asking because I feel like now I've had the good fortune to be around you for some years. And I find that it seems to me that if I should oh, say what is Chase core teaching, it would be this knowing thing that you've been talking about today and that you say it comes from God. Yeah, well... Um, what I would say is it comes from outside of me, our material self. There's a, you know, and I'm not very wedded to where, what is the source of it. Mm. If you want to call it God, fine. If you want to call it soul, fine. You want to call it higher, you want to call it nature, universe, mm-hmm. fine. I, th- these are semantic issues for me. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the process is, you you um, develop some balance that means that the mind becomes stable and directable and then in that uh, and also a bit more quiet and then wherever you put your attention the 
um, possibility of insight comes. And for me, insight is something that is arriving from outside of the... I'm not generating it. Mm-hmm. So I'm very comfortable with that. Coming from God, why not? But it's not coming from me. It's like a gift. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that up. Bam, there it was in the mind. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, you know, definitely one of the messages of Bhagavad Gita is that the more that you align with this and that you follow, what you end up with is an experience of the consciousness at the foundation of all materiality, which is orchestrating things. So, because if you're going to say, if, if this consciousness says in Bhagavad Gita, I am the soul, I am the spirit of all living beings, then there's a lot of access mm-hmm. to coordinate things. And the more you sort of align and you listen and you watch, so many communications come through other beings, like, mm-hmm. you know, other humans or the crow causes a certain time or you know, today we had a funny moment because I made a point and then there was a ding, ding. on the on the phone. <laughs> right. Yeah, but but so, you know, like there's one way of reading those kind of, something in that way. And um uh so for me personally I'm very comfortable with the fact yes, it's God, those things come from God. But I'm but I'm not I don't see that as a necess- necessary explanation. Mm-hmm. That's an explanation. Really yoga's about the description. What is the description? Get balanced. As you become more balanced, then the mind has certain qualities. And those, and those qualities allow for experiences that um, uh, start to show lots is going on that you are not in control of. And the more that you sort of align with that and follow, the more uh, of the intricacy and the, the intricacies and the um, interconnectedness of really all life is is uh, revealed, mm. and uh, that's super interesting. Mm. I like the way you you often like you keep referring like I hear when you talk about your your faith, if I may call it that. Yeah. You use the word to align oneself with. And that you, it seems to me that you're talking in a paradigm where you you have the choice to enter a state of being where you can align yourself with some sort of mystical power, like at least a power that is not quite understood, that in the lack of a better word, that we call God. Or yeah. That you call God. Or you yeah. accept the word God. Yeah, I accept the word. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's accurate. You know, I, I'm, I don't much... I'm not very concerned with the explanation. You know, is we, what is that thing? I don't really care. Is it, is it Christ? Is it, uh, is it Buddha nature? Is it, you know... Yahweh, whatever. I, I don't know, and I, it's beyond my capacity to, um, to differentiate. So... Uh, but but I I do have some kind of internal experience where um, my uh, 
where I observe that things happen in me and through me, which I'm not, which are not, I'm not the origin of. Mm. And that's, um, you know, and as the more that that happens, the more I get, um, the more I feel like, oh, right. As long as I do this process and I stay in the process, then the results are this and this and and in the alignment and um, and the more there's alignment then the more there's sort of peace in me and there's also um, uh, meaningful exchanges in the world but but that doesn't mean happy and joyful it, all the time mm-hmm. it doesn't mean I get rich it doesn't mean that I it doesn't mean that things unfold in a way that I would consider positive it just mm-hmm. It means that things unfold in a way that's like um, very meaningful and um, satisfying. I, yeah. So these are this is a super conversation, but unfortunately, we must go. <laughs> so another Thank time. You. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you both. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Chat and Chai Yoga Talks from Miami Live Center. This was with Chase Bossart. He comes to Miami every year whenever we have our Ashtanga Practitioners Intensive and he teaches our students about the Bhagavad Gita. And everybody always ends up loving his course and learning so much from it and having a lot of transformational experiences, kind of taking the teachings from the Bhagavad Gita and learning how to apply them into their lives. So we are super grateful for Chase. He's coming all the way from California. He directs the Yoga Wall Institute where he has online classes and yoga training programs. He works with yoga therapy, according to uh, Mr. Desha Kachar, which was his teacher. If you're interested in learning more from him, you can go to his website, yogawal.com, and you'll find more information about him, his team, and the classes that he offers. And he will be coming back to Miami, hopefully, most likely, next summer for our next Ashtanga Practitioners Intensive taking place summer 2020. We'll have more details and specific dates up really soon, so stay in touch either through Instagram at Miami Life Center or on our website, miamilifecenter.com. Hope to see you soon. Namaste.